0: Hi, it's Mark Zinkiewicz, and welcome to the podcast today. It is May 7th, 2020. My guest today is Daryl Bricker. He is an author and also CEO of Public Affairs for global market research firm Ipsos. I had the pleasure of seeing Daryl speak at the Grow Canada conference in Calgary late last year. Along with John Ibbotson, he is co-author of Empty Planet, The Shock of Global Population Decline. The book presents an interesting argument. For half a century, statisticians, pundits, and politicians have warned that a burgeoning population will soon overwhelm the Earth's resources. But a growing number of experts, Bricker included, are sounding a different alarm. Rather than continuing to increase exponentially, they argue that the global population is headed for a steep decline, and in many countries that decline has already begun. In their book, Bricker and Ibbotson find that a smaller global population will bring with it many benefits, fewer workers will command higher wages, the environment will improve, the risk of famine will wane, and falling birth rates in the developing world will bring greater affluence and autonomy for women. Bricker argues that not only will we not hit a world population of over 9 billion by 2050 as the United Nations suggests, he argues that we'll probably hit around 8.5 billion before our population starts to decline. This is due to three main reasons, urbanization, aging, and fertility. More and more people are moving from the countryside to the city, our population is aging, and at the same time, women aren't having as many children as they used to. I talked with Daryl Bricker last week in regards to the COVID-19 pandemic and what he thinks some of the implications could be in regards to the world population and some of the trends we'll see moving forward. Daryl, thanks so much for joining me this week. Last time we spoke was late last year at the Grow Canada conference in Calgary, where you presented your case for a declining world population. Now, last fall, COVID-19 wasn't on anybody's mind. It wasn't yet a thing, as the Internet likes to say. Now that we've gone through all this, what do you think some of the implications could be in terms of your argument about the declining world population?
1: Uh, nothing that I talked about in October, I think, will be, at least in the medium term, affected by any of what we're going through, unless the virus mutates and the fatality rates are much higher than, uh, than uh, we're currently experiencing. It, it hasn't really substantially increased the death rate in the world. So the population continues to age. Uh, we're still not having any kids. I mean, that's really what what's going on. Um, the only thing that uh, could have some impact is if we start seeing some change in the way that people regard urbanization. So if uh, we've now learned to work in uh, more remotely and maybe the idea of living in a city or in a, in, a, in a larger metropolitan area, uh, appears to be, uh, if the disease lasts for a longer period of time, uh, dangerous, then my expectation is that uh, there might be some uh, um, uh, decline in uh, or, or slowing of the urbanization. I would say slowing would be the better way of putting it. Slowing of the process of urbanization and we know urbanization is one of the things that has a pretty big impact on fertility rates. But uh, I think overall everything that I talked about in the presentation is still happening If anything, what uh, the uh, COVID crisis has done has heightened and amplified what we were talking about. So now we really are talking, I think people are more uh, likely to be thinking about what the shape of the population is. And some of the things that we saw in, um, in, uh, or what I talked about in October are definitely, say for example, if we take a look at Canada, uh, highlighted by what we're going through. So, for example, the the death rates and uh, infection rates are obviously much higher uh, in urban areas in Canada and certainly in the suburbs, which has been our fastest growing population. Well, there's a reason for that and that's because everybody's moving to those places. Uh, And then the other thing is when you take a look at the the deaths, I can just talk about Ontario and Quebec right now, 80% of the deaths have been in seniors facilities. Uh, we've been having real challenges in terms of taking care of seniors for a long time, but this has highlighted the fact that there are so many of them, and we have, uh, and even though we tend to kind of put it out of our minds, um, uh, th- that they are really an underserviced part of the population when it comes to uh, things like their longer-term care. And the exposure that they experience as a result of this is a combination of the fact that you can talk about the, uh, the healthcare system, but also their numbers and and it's been going up pretty dramatically over the space of the last uh, 20 years and it will continue to increase.
0: Well, one thing you talked about at the Crop Connect conference was the need to service our growing elderly population. You mentioned that this is a group that is often ignored. We don't really make much for them. We don't really think about them in terms of mainstream consumer culture. One thing that's been really prevalent, Daryl, during this whole COVID-19 pandemic is the topic of, for example, food delivery. The need to deliver food to people has become very important, what with restaurants being closed and only being allowed to serve takeout. But this is really a problem that our senior population deals with all the time. People who have mobility issues, who maybe can't just go out to eat whenever they feel like it. Those are the people who could really benefit from some sort of long term food delivery system. How could that be affected by all of this? Do you think there may be some business opportunities that could arise from that?
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that's happened as a result of this is e-commerce is off the charts, and a lot of things that were seen as, uh, I would say, somewhat marginal uh, types of uh, methodologies for accessing the restaurant industry, for for example, although there's been pretty rapid growth in that, um, uh, in, in delivery services, this has really highlighted them. So my expectation is that there uh, is – well, I know this based on the research – there's been an awful lot of trial of delivery services, an awful lot of trial of takeout um, options uh, that people hadn't really conceived of before, and restaurants really hadn't provided. So this idea that um, the restaurant experience is going to be maybe a home-based experience and that some of this trial is actually going to turn into habit is a really um, uh, is a really interesting thing to consider. The other thing, and you mentioned seniors again. I mean, the the, the issue with the senior population uh, in uh, in long-term care is that there isn't a lot of options for them other than long-term care. So this may uh, and, and the two issues that we were dealing with was not just the numbers, but the fact that they had collected in those places. So if people could stay in their homes for longer, which, by the way, is their biggest desire, they want to age in place, uh, we're going to ha- also have start having a conversation about the services that will make it possible for them to do this. This may be one of them.
0: Daryl, one thing that a lot of us in agriculture are wondering about is as urbanization gathers steam and more people move from the country to the city, who's going to grow the food that we're going to need to feed the world in the future?
1: Well, I mean, that's one of the, the trends that we know in agriculture statistics is the number of farms is in dramatic decline, but the size of farms are in, is increasing. So, uh, in terms of the acreage, so uh, my suspicion is what's going to happen is it's going to become more industrialized, and um, and the main reason is because the farmer population is so old, and the inability to be able to attract younger people into the industry is creating the need to have more industrialized. Uh, more industrialized farming. So the interesting question going forward is going to be how we uh, lower the average age of people who are operating farms, because it's in the mid-50s, by the way, um, and uh, how we can attract younger people into that that population, how we can make agriculture for not just anybody, but young, ambitious people who are really going to revolutionize the industry. So just having somebody who's going to do what we're already doing. Uh, who, who's younger? Who comes into it? That would be uh, you know, obviously important, but even more important would be to attract really dynamic people into uh, in, instead of, for example, into you know software engineering. Maybe they they, they should be considering agriculture. So um, you know, whenever I walk around uh, uh, any of the uh, the farm conventions that I go to or in farm shows that I go to, because I've been getting invited to a lot of them over the last four or five years, uh, based on what I've been writing about and and. Uh, it's really quite a technologically um, adept area uh, in which it's it requires a lot of skill a lot of knowledge a lot of education and you would think that it would be more appealing to younger people so one wonders um, what it is that the industry if you can call it that um, is going to do to get these people into it otherwise um, it, it's it's i don't think that the, the production will decline i mean we'll find new ways to produce but you know, get ready for robot farmers.
0: Well, and that is one technology I suppose is going to gather steam. If we get GPS, I suppose we actually will have robots driving harvesters in the future.
1: There's a reason that, I forget what the number is, but I think it's like 80% of the world's robots are manufactured and used in Japan. Well, there's a reason for it, it's because everybody's old and they're not having any kids and the population's actually shrinking. So, I mean, there is a way to maintain productivity, but the thing about robots is they don't buy things, right? They, they're not going to buy a new car. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to consume what they produce. So that still requires people to be able to do that. And if the population is shrinking, and our and our uh, productivity is makes it even uh, less likely to need people. How how are we going to actually maintain any type of consumer culture? Because if if you look at the uh, at what's happened with the growth of the world economy, particularly since the, the end of the Second World War, it's been driven by consumerism. It's been driven by initially, and in, in mostly in the Western countries, the idea of a, a consumer becoming a a, um, a thing that drew drove economic growth or a variable that drove economic growth. We had high levels of birth, so we had lots of people who needed lots of things. And we've kind of peaked out as the middle class has started to develop uh, in places like China and India, especially in in China, uh, and they've now you know carried on a certain amount of, uh, of the globe's economic growth. Well, um, it, the future doesn't really look like that because we're not really nobody's really having any kids. I mean, Africa for a period of time likely will uh, will uh, create some growth in the economy as they modernize. But at the end of all of this, where we're going to end up, uh, uh, you know, net net in terms of the global population is it's going to be shrinking, and and growing shrinking populations are not usually economically vibrant populations particularly if those populations are old so that's that's kind of the future that we're facing and and uh, the problem with older people is as you know you correctly identified at the start they don't buy a lot of things and we don't make a lot for them and i'm wondering if there's a correlation between those two things that they uh, you know in which direction the arrow goes is there's no point in making anything for them because they won't buy it or because we don't make anything for them to buy, they don't buy it. So, I mean, these are going to be big challenges that we're going to be confronting going forward. Obviously going to have really big impl- implications for agriculture. Going to have every very big implications for every aspect of the food industry.
0: For more great podcasts, visit germannation.ca.